everybody. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. So we're recording this uh, a few weeks in advance, so I don't know exactly what uh, might be going on in the world. Hopefully everybody's still here. Uh, and that's good, because we're going to talk about the best picture of 1962, David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. But I can't, look, this is an epic film. I can't talk about it alone. I need someone's help. Uh, someone who knows what they're talking about. Unfortunately, I've got Josh here. Josh, how you doing? Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yay. Josh, you're such a delightful foil because I can just, I can just, um, it's like that idea of I'm rubber, you're glue. You're just glue. You just absorb stuff and it doesn't phase you at all. Who knows where it goes? <laughs> It's like, it seems to go deep inside, uh, and then I assume nothing happens. Yeah, nothing except that I wake up screaming. Oh, oh. But then it's out of your system. I feel like most people do that, right? Yeah. It's like, I find myself sweating blood sometimes. <laughs> Very strange things. Um, okay, so we have... Look, here's the deal. We're recording another episode in like a half hour, so we got to get this done. You're giving them too much backstory. It's fun though. People All like right, to. Maybe it sounds weird. People actually do like to hear really backstage stuff. I don't know why. I guess I do too when I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah, maybe um, you should start making up stuff like that. Like, boy, it sure is rainy out there. Listen to that rain. So some theater of the mind, and I can down. I can do some. Listen to the raindrops on the window hang on a face hugger is about to come and uh, <laughs> attach itself to me um okay so as i said we were talking about lawrence of arabia uh 1962 directed by david lean now if you've not seen lawrence of arabia you are missing out it's a film that we have talked about before i consider it one of the best movies of all time it did make it into the more than one lesson top 10 Ooh. So, but because of when we're recording this, I will not say where in the top 10 it landed. Yeah. But you, listener, probably already know if you're following exactly. that. Exactly. So you, um, you got a heads up on us, on me anyway. Yes, Tyler I know all of this. He's stuff. keeping, he's uh, the keeper of the secrets at the moment. Oh, I like that title. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just like my own personal secrets. Right. Nobody can know them. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Lawrence of Arabia, it's hard to know even where to start. We're not going to do like an in-depth analysis of the film, but what I will say is it's just one of the, I I personally consider it like a top five movie. I think it's astounding. Um, I did the, I think I did the write-up for it for the, the top 50. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that you and I have talked about and the thing that I really latch on to is, I mean, it is an epic in every sense of the word. It is the film that I think kind of sets the standard for what an epic is. I think this and Gone with the Wind and maybe Ben-Hur. Mm -hmm. And I would even say Titanic, which, yes, had a lot of help from digital effects, but not as much as we would see now. Yeah, it's probably true. You know, I mean, Cameron still built huge sets and did yeah. amazing things. So, uh, I don't know. And I would guess as far as just scope, I would say the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um but as far as everything being done in camera, going to a location, I feel like David Lean just blows everybody else out of the water. Yeah. Between Bridger on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, and Dr. Zhivago, I feel like he's no one can touch him. Are there any filmmakers that are making epics like that nowadays? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but maybe I'm missing something. I don't think so. I mean, even I'd say even Spielberg has uh, pared things down quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, definitely. You see a lot more digital stuff in his work. and. Yeah. and and I feel like he just tells smaller stories now. Yeah. I didn't see War Horse. 
Um, but I'm sure that still has a lot of digital stuff as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Cause I feel like I'd like to see movies like that to a degree. Sometimes I think, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson might be doing it. Nef- definitely not to a David lean degree, right? but to the degree that he does things that have kind of, uh, bigger and maybe more epic set pieces and moments. Yeah. And like I can think of stuff like, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix on the motorcycle in the desert in the sure. master. That feels like a kind of thing sure. or the explosion of the, the, uh, oil, Derek in or I'd say there will be blood is about as close as he's come to a to a genuine epic and but it's hard for me to think of it that way um even though that you know he is shooting very much on location um I do think maybe the I won't say the death of the epic because you know they can always uh, revive it but I feel like the, the very fact that so if a movie was mostly CG you and I would discount it as an epic mm-hmm. because we do seem to incorporate either uh, consciously or unconsciously I definitely seem to incorporate the difficulty of the shoot yeah a, a willingness on the part of the director and the crew and the studio yeah to just do to capture what it must have been like for these characters to deal with these things. Yeah. And we as an audience can tell at this point, like we, we can look at uh, Pandora and we know it's not real, you know? Yeah. Like, so I think that that's one thing that lends uh, something, some of the epic quality to films that we would call epic. And that's certainly one reason that David Lean films stand out so much even now. Yeah. And, and I think, and when I say Lawrence uh, sets a new standard, um, I think just because everything just melds so well, it's not merely that it's a large scope right. film. It's also there are battles, there are huge armies that are not digital. Yeah, he's he is marshaling hundreds, if not thousands, of people just on screen. Yeah. not to mention the crew. Yeah, I mean, and his ability to keep all of this straight and tell a coherent story that nonetheless and this is why this is why i love lawrence of arabia nonetheless as much of a spectacle as it can be it still does not lose track of its characters specifically its main character who is himself enigmatic mysterious complex and he he, the character is not simplified as a function he's not the complexity of the character is not sacrificed for the for the spectacle. Both of yeah. them are kept. Yeah. Uh, and what I find fascinating and something you and I have talked about is it's fascinating to build a spectacle movie around such a character. Yeah. Um, you know, Patton as a personality manages to be bigger than any of the battles that he's fighting. Yeah. Um, it makes sense to build a spectacle he, movie around off him. a larger than life character yeah. like that. Yeah. But somebody who can never, never seems to, be fully understood by anyone uh, doesn't seem necessarily like the type of character that would that you'd you'd uh, center a an epic around. And just the the choice to do it, and I think it's a war- remarkably well written film by Robert Bolton and Michael Wilson, based on the writings of T. E. Lawrence, who was a uh, uh, in the British military in World War One and was sent out to Arabia. Uh, just the Middle East in general, um, to 
maybe be one of i don't know three officers to take any kind of interest in that region yeah. uh because uh you know world war one it affected every country and there are the countries that we we're friendly with and the ones we weren't and we were very much against the turks mm. and they're against us so we and the only people fighting the turks were the i think what is it bedouins um yeah just a, a small band of not even rebels but just it's hard to even say what they what they were. But, they're kind of uh, nomads. Yeah, definitely. And they're the only ones fighting against the Turks, and so the British decide to sort of join forces with them, or rather to lead their forces. And so that's why, and so they send Lawrence, a guy who is just uncomfortable in any kind of Western setting, it would appear. Just the, the structure of not merely... Uh, Great Britain, but also the military just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to fit well with him. Yeah. Um, they, and they even make certain choices by having his military costume just seem to fit poorly. Yeah. Um, and uh, that that whole uh, idea of who he is lends to something else that I like about the film is that it avoids um, something we'd probably end up doing more nowadays, which would be either making the film too much about how he as an outsider needs to come and learn from these people or about how he as the powerful white man needs to come and help these, uh, you know, these third world people learn how to fight. Here's it's, it's neither one of those. Here is how much the movie does not do that. This is the absolute first time that has ever occurred to me that it manages to, I mean, you talked about Avatar earlier. Yeah. Um, and this, it happened, I mean, it's, Dances with Wolves is an epic yeah, that uh, uh, the theatrical cut of it definitely has sort of the, the white savior quality, but also the learning from the, the noble savage kind of thing. Mm. Um, this doesn't have it to such a degree that I can't even think to praise it for not having it. It, <laughs> d- it didn't even, it doesn't even occur to me. Yeah. Because... And I guess it starts to go in that direction, I think on purpose, so that it can then completely undercut it. When you have Omar Sharif, uh, his introduction is that he kills a character that is sympathetic, uh, which is uh, Lawrence's guide, and he kills him for very tribal, one could say primal reasons, um, and just very territorial reasons. And in that moment, Lawrence says, as long as you guys are fighting tribe against uh, tribe, the, you will be a silly people, a little people. He's being, he's being very superior in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he's in that, it, it's the, the, it's the, it's not really a monologue, but these are the lines of somebody who is in, who's later going to be a part of these people and elevate them. Mm-hmm. But literally in the next scene, Alec Guinness, who is seen to be a civilized, educated, uh, peaceful man and very shrewd, uh, he throws these lines back at Lawrence and then you see an, an, an immediate mutual respect and then you come to actually respect Omar Sharif and often he winds up being the voice of reason uh, and Lawrence is not, but it's because of who he is as a character, not that he's from this uh this right. strange and exotic he, land that just inherently is better than than Great Britain. Yeah, I, th- I think those sort of those sort of approaches to stories like this come from a place of ignorance yeah. that are trying to uh, to affect a sense of worldliness. Yeah, because uh, 
only if you do not understand a culture are you going to write characters where everyone within that culture is emblematic of the ideals and yeah uh, and and the the identity of that culture yeah the word identity i think comes into this uh, a lot something that you hear the term identity politics a lot these days mm-hmm. which refuses to see people as individuals but only what they represent you are right. conservative christian white straight male that's what you fall into i fall mm-hmm. into those as well um and, and thus, that means you are X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you are all of these things that I associate with uh, with all of those labels, yeah. as opposed to who you, Josh Long, uh, can be. Yeah, and um, yeah, and Lawrence just uh, Lawrence of Arabia just completely sidesteps that, or again, not even sidesteps. I think it knows it's there. I think David Lean and the the screenwriters, I think they know they're there, which is why they set it up initially to show a, a certain degree of. I won't even say prejudice, but I'll just say some preconceived notions. Uh, they set them up only to knock them down immediately and then see everybody as an individual. Even Anthony Quinn's character, uh, Auda Abu Tai, who is, he's comical and he's over the top and all of these things. And he's very much steeped in the, in the culture, uh, the very, again, tribal, territorial warlike he is all of that and yet even he is seen as a, as sometimes more subtle than uh, sometimes more subtle than other times but even he is seen as a real man with real emotions real motivations and it's just it's it is astonishing to me even a character like that jose ferrer plays who his character isn't even really given a name he's in i think two scenes he is definitely a villain and they even take time to sketch his character out and make him more than just your standard turk yeah um it's it is just astounding to me and this is what i'm talking about the film does not lose not merely lawrence it does not lose any of these characters in the midst of spectacle yeah um and uh, it's just something that I, I just respected so much. It's just such a, a yeah. marvelous film. Um, and I'll say this. If you live in Los Angeles, Lawrence of Arabia plays on the big screen a lot. Regularly, often in 70 millimeter. And that's definitely yeah. a thing to to see if you get a yes. chance to. At least once in your life. I've I'm, seen it twice on the big screen. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we said this before in the episode where I talked about it before. But my personal experience was the first time that I saw it, I watched it on my computer screen in my dorm room. And I was Oof. like, this movie's okay. Uh, <laughs> and then the second time I saw it was on the big screen, screen in 70 millimeter. And you're like, oh, this is this is a different movie than the movie that I saw. <laughs> yeah. it's it's. Uh, I, I forget who it was. There was a comedian... There's a comedian on Battleship Protect. It might have been Phil Dwyer who said that obviously movies are meant to be watched on your phone while you're crossing the street. <laughs> um, I think he was saying that about Tree of Life. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's there is. I'm not I'm not a complete purist. I'm not somebody who says that uh, that in order to fully appreciate a movie, you absolutely positively have to see it on the big screen. I don't think that's the case all the time. I do think with Lawrence of Arabia, you can watch it on your on a Blu-ray at home with a good sound system, and you still you will. It's it's, it's entirely possible that that will become your favorite movie of all time just on that viewing. Yeah. But as tends to happen, there will be movies that I'm completely that I'm totally familiar with. I've seen you know dozens of times uh, on the small screen, and then I see them once on the big screen, and I realize immediately, oh. 
right yeah especially older movies that where it is assumed that you will see them on the big screen yeah and they're shot in that way mm-hmm. uh, i'm thinking specifically i was thinking i saw citizen kane on the big screen and felt like it was the first time seeing it i saw jaws on the big screen and by the time i uh, by the time i saw it on the big screen i'd seen it dozens maybe even hundreds that's probably an exaggeration <laughs> but probably 50 or 60 times and then i see it on the big screen and i and i'm noticing things that i didn't see before and lawrence of arabia is a film that if you haven't seen it at all, take a look and see. And it depends on where you live, but you never know. It could, if you have any kind of like repertory, uh, repertory is that the word? Yeah. Repertory theater at all. It might only be a matter of time before they show Lawrence of Arabia. They might not show it in seven, uh, 70 millimeter, Maybe but, not, but still, still, it's a yeah. big screen experience. Uh, and then if you, even if you have seen it, I'd say seek it out in that way as well, because it is a film just the vastness of the desert is really captured by the big screen. Yeah. Um, and so, and I don't really know much else to say. Uh, I'll say that the film won Best Picture, Director, Cinematography, Art Direction, Sound, Editing, and Score. And that score is amazing by Maurice Jarre. I don't know how you say his last name. I think that's right. Um, it's uh, great music and, and a, de- a, a very definite theme that yeah. uh, comes in and out, but also just there's an adventure quality to it but also there's a at times a definite melancholy um specifically when you realize that lawrence is a deeply flawed character and has though he might speak quietly he does have a pretty high opinion of himself yeah um and i think lawrence is a good example of a character that when I was younger, I had a clear idea of what good characters were. Mm-hmm. You knew where they were coming from. You knew what they wanted. You knew what their flaws were very clearly. You knew what their strengths were. Um, they always had a certain degree of awareness of those things. And it allowed the, and they were written well, but also it would allow the actor to really sink their teeth into the role. Mm. I think. Lawrence, I don't think Lawrence is the first instance of this, but it is one of the first instances where the character is all of those things and none of those things. You don't really know what he wants. You mm-hmm. don't know where he's coming from. You have a general idea of his flaws and his strengths. You don't know why he's good at the things he's good at, except he just seems to be. Mm-hmm. You don't know where his flaws came from, except he just has them. Yeah. For, if you were to ask me as a teenager, I would say that's that's a poorly focused character. Mm-hmm. And that surely he could be written better i can't get a handle on him now and and again as a function of this film i came to realize just how deep a character can be and how brilliant a character can be and if you get the right actor in there how much an actor can sink his teeth into yeah this again this very intangible character uh and peter o'toole of course does a marvelous job yeah um and so uh yeah, it's but but all the acting is wonderful. Omar Sharif is is great. Alec Guinness is great. Anthony Quinn, uh, even uh, uh, like Claude Rains, who's only in a in a couple scenes. Uh, I forgot that he was even in it. Yeah. Oh, and he's marvelous. Mm. He's. I always love Claude Rains. He's. Uh, yeah, I just rewatched Notorious last night, and he's oh, marvelous. In he's that. great in that. Um, but the uh, 
and this is Claude Rains from like Casablanca, mm-hmm. where he is super corrupt and <laughs> takes takes unbridled glee in it. Um, <laughs> it's it's really great. But um, so we should we should move on. Uh, so the film that's what the film won. The film was nominated for Best Actor for Peter O'Toole, Supporting Actor for Omar Sharif, and Adapted Screenplay. Um, the other Best Picture nominees were The Longest Day, The Music Man, Mutiny on the Bounty, and To Kill a Mockingbird. Of those, I've actually only seen To Kill a Mockingbird. I have not seen this version of Mutiny on the Bounty. I've seen the, the 30s version. That's the one I've seen, too. Yeah, with this is the, the one with, uh, with Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. That'd be interesting to see. It is would. Charles Lawton the other one? Yeah, who's, yeah. Who's the, the other one? Is Cl- uh, the 30s is Charles Lawton and Clark Gable. This yeah. is Marlon Brando, and I don't actually know who plays... Was it Captain Bly? Is that his name? Um, I th- I thought Bly was the Lawton character. Yeah, that's him. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. 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 In in this version, uh, Marlon Brando plays the Fletcher Christian character, the Clark Gable character, but I don't know who plays the captain. I don't remember. Hmm. Um, and I know they've they've there in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a film called The Bounty, which had Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. It's not James Mason, is it? I don't. I don't think so. Um, I don't know I why like that's he, in my head. I feel like, is it Trevor Howard? But he might be too old at this point. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't um, know. You know, some respected British actor, undoubtedly. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I uh, I have seen Music Man and To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Um, now, I here's, seen the other two. here's the question, Josh. All right. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that Lawrence of Arabia deserves to win Best Picture over To Kill a Mockingbird. Trevor Howard, by the way. It was Trevor Howard. It was Trevor Howard. Mm-hmm. Hey, all right. Good, good for me. Good call. Um, Richard Harris is in it, too. Hey, good for him. Uh, I just saw his son the other day. Um, we didn't hang out or anything. He just <laughs> happened to go to the same uh, theater performance that I oh, right. that I did. Um, and boy, he looks like his dad. Like, really? it's really it's really crazy. <laughs> and he sounds like him, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, now I know that To Kill a Mockingbird is one of your favorite films of all time. Yeah. What... I'm going to go. I'm going to go out on go out on a limb and say that you probably think Lawrence of Arabia and To Kill a Mockingbird are both better than The Music Man. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So now the question is, and I've heard great things about The Longest Day, and I've heard actually middling things about this version of Mutiny on the Bounty, hmm. um, but uh, specifically that they're trying to make they're trying to make Fletcher Christian a lot more smoldering and and that kind of thing. Yeah, trying to play I, into that that aspect of Marlon Brando. Looking back, kind of in retrospect, you think a costume drama based on basically a costume drama up against Lawrence of Arabia didn't have a ghost of a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, especially when it's a story we're already familiar with and won Best Picture before. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you love To Kill a Mockingbird. You love Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Which do you think? Which would you give Best Picture to? It's really hard to say because they're so they're both great in totally different ways. Yes, yeah. um, I feel like it's one of those things where if To Kill a Mockingbird had been the film that won that year, I would have been like, I think I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I could understand a lot of people not being okay with it and being upset about that. Yeah, um, I feel like that's where I have to come down on it. And it's funny i think they're great in different ways but they have a lot of similarities like they both have really strong leading characters with excellent performances i think atticus finch 
is also a bit unknowable. Yeah. No, totally. Because um, you only know him from a child's point of view, so yeah. you only get to see a little bit of him. And that's one yeah. of the great things about it is you catch snatches, snatches here and there of what it really means to be him, yeah. but you never fully understand him. Um, and Gregory Peck is, is the the one that beat uh, Peter O'Toole for Best Actor. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't think of a better Gregory Peck performance. He's an actor I enjoy. Not to say that, like... He's not often good, but yeah, I mean this, it's tough because I think for everybody, this is the Gregory Peck performance and everybody's comparing his other performances (laughs) to this, to this, uh, he played Joseph Mengele in the boys from Brazil. (laughs) Did you see that? I did see that. Uh, (laughs) this one is better than that. (laughs) Although oddly enough, he plays him with the exact same mannerisms. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely give it give best picture to Lawrence of Arabia partially because, and this is again, there are plenty of epics that have won best picture that we've talked about. And we say like, we totally understand why it won a lot of these technical awards. We totally understand that. But at, but the bigness of it doesn't mean that the movie itself as a whole is great. Right. We, we would give, we would give plenty of technical awards to, to the English patient, but Fargo is clearly the best movie of that year. Yeah. Fargo is a much smaller film. Um, so what I'm about to say might sound counter, like runs counter to what I've said in the past. I think Lawrence of Arabia is the bigger achievement. And, but when I say that, I don't merely mean a bigger achievement as far as spectacle. Mm -hmm. What we've been talking about, we, you can spend just as much time talking about the characters of Lawrence of Arabia and the writing as the spectacle, the two go together. And I think that's actually the achievement more so than shooting in the desert, Mm -hmm. more, more so than moving all these armies around. The bigger achievement, I think, is putting all these things to get th- these things together so that everything plays into everything else, and it's it is a complete whole of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's the better, the bigger achievement than To Kill a Mockingbird. But To Kill a Mockingbird is still very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do need to wrap up. Uh, I will say, looking at the other, sixty two is a good year. Sixty two was as good a year as sixty three was not. Um, <laughs> You've got advising consent. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's I not a seen that film. One, no. Really great. I like it a lot. Um, it's about politics, but it's about a very specific kind of. It's about Otto Preminger politics. So okay. really unpleasant, <laughs> but also really great. Um, Birdman of Alcatraz, Cape Fear, which is another I, actually good. I love the uh, original Cape Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great Mitchum and good Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck. Yeah. Um, Carnival of Souls, which I'm a big fan of. Um, <laughs> That's one of those I enjoy, but I don't. <laughs> I don't think of it as like a great movie, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's kind of pulpy to the point where it's almost a little silly at times, but it's still, I think it's still effective and it's still fun to watch for sure. I think there's a definite, for me, a very, a definite haunting quality. It's, it's very much, um, I forget, what is the ambient? It's kind of ambient horror. I can see that. Yeah. Um, which I like, but yeah, it's still cheesy in a lot of ways. Uh, Cleo from five to seven, I think is really great. That's yeah. That's a good um, one. Days of Wine and Roses is good. Uh, I don't think Doctor No is a great movie, but this is the first James Bond film. Yeah. Um, Jules and Jim, La Jete, Lolita, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Manchurian Candidate, The Trial. There are a lot of great movies. Yeah, there's a lot and of a lot of great filmmakers working uh, this year. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy I enjoy The Music Man, but there's a few of these I like. Manchurian Candidate, I feel like, should be a Best Picture winner, but I, I wonder if it was because yeah. of the politics of the time. It was maybe. Um, I remember hearing a lot of stuff about how that movie 
had trouble because it was so close to the JFK assassination. Yeah, that's that's part of it. And he did cite it as his favorite movie. Um, so, um, but yeah, that's the thing. Like that could have been in there. I think a man who shot Liberty Valance could have been in there. Um, you know, the, the Academy's not in the habit of doing uh, nominating foreign films, but I think uh, Cleo from Five to Seven could have been in there. Yeah, that's a great one. And Jules and Jim, I think, is maybe my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite Truffaut. It might. It's one of my favorite French New Wave, although it'd be hard to. And it was in your top ten. I know because I had to watch it, and it bothered me tremendously. <laughs> Because even though it is very good, I forget how I described it. I think I, I said the story of a young woman who ruins everything for everybody. <laughs> did you know I just recently found out they did a remake of that film, a, a, an American version of that in like the 80s. Was it called Jules and Jim? No, it's two other men's names. And I wish I could remember. I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it was It is either, called Porky. <laughs> it was either a film director I had heard of or there was an actor that I was just looking through their filmography and spotted in there. I wish I could remember what that was right now, but I. It That's was odd because they remade Breathless exists. in the '80s as well. Did they really? I didn't. With Richard Gere, I, I believe. So I guess I the '80s is I when I can't imagine like, that works. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, we've got new wave in the '80s. Uh, let's embrace uh, French new wave." <laughs> um, but yeah, so looking at all of these, um, there's. The, I've been very hyperbolic, but I maybe even not even maybe not hyperbolic enough about Lawrence of Arabia. Um, it would take only a handful of movies to be released the same year as Lawrence of Arabia for me to say that they deserve best picture over this. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I have, I clearly have uh, no problem with Lawrence of Arabia winning best picture in a year that gave it some definite competition. Um, now I see that you're, you're looking at something. I, I found it. It's a movie called Willie and Phil. <laughs> 1980. Paul Mazursky is oh, the okay. writer and director. and He's not bad. Uh, no, no, he's not. Uh, the movie looks like it may be. It's a 5.8 on IMDb, but Margot Kidder plays the uh, haunting woman, the, the Catherine Deneuve role. I could see that. And uh, Ray Sharkey, I don't remember who that is, that plays Phil. That familiar. But Willie is played by Michael Ondkeen, better known as uh, yeah. it's, uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman on... Yeah. Um, Twin Peaks. So that's Ray Sharkey strange. does sound very familiar. Um, but yeah, uh, so there's a fun fact for everybody. Uh, yep. But yeah, obviously, if you haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia, you owe it to yourself as a film fan to see it. Yeah. And don't watch it on your computer screen or on your phone. I wouldn't recommend Watch it, it at the very least on a large TV with a good sound system. Uh, it's beautiful on Blu-ray. It's beautiful on DVD. They both look very good. Um, but yes, if you can see it at any point in your life, on the big screen. Yeah, even if you've seen it multiple times, it's yeah. definitely worth it. Yeah. So, uh, okay, we will leave it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.